Perspectives special edition of Artist Interviews, today featuring Aaron Kronikin. Aaron Kronikin is an award-winning actor, producer, and director who is based in New York City. She is a founding member of the Seeing Place Theater and has served as its executive artistic director since 2011. For the Seeing Place, she has produced 41 main stage productions, 19 of which she has also directed. Aaron is an NYIT-nominated actor for her work in the Seeing Place's The Maids. Cultural Capital says her performance of Roberta was one of the most genuine and touching performances I have seen this year. Peter Felicia says, The finest performances I saw this month came from Aaron Kronikin and Brandon Walker. I was so impressed at their naturalness. These kids weren't acting, but had just happened to become the characters. That's all. I look forward to seeing more at the seeing place. And from the Daily Actor, It's always wonderful to still be surprised by someone I've seen several times in the past. It's hard to take your eyes off Aaron Kronikin. More information can be found at her website, erinchronikin.com, and theseeingplacetheater.com, as well as her blog, erinchronicles.com, and her YouTube page, which can be found under her name. So welcome, Erin Kronikin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. I'm very so, humbled by my own press there. <laughs> you know. What is your artistic vision? It's something that I have thought about for a long time as an artist. Um, I kind of teach that to my students when I'm doing career coaching because it's the one thing that can tether you when everything is crazy and wild and there are all kinds of different uh, types of storytelling and different people that you're working with having an artistic mission um, can really focus you and help you to know which projects to say no to as well, um, as well as which ones to say yes to. So, and I have a little dog back here saying hello for those of you watching on camera. Um, so for me, uh, it's really about visceral storytelling. So storytelling that makes an impact. Uh, and artistically, I also want people to feel like they, um, they're learning something about themselves through the work that I'm doing and that I'm getting to learn something about myself through the work I'm doing. Most of the work I'm passionate about has a social justice impact um so i kind of find projects that allow me to uh make some sort of statement about the state of the world and the people in it um i'm also a fan as well of empowering people so the art that i like to create um it makes me feel good to have people watch and be inspired by it for their own lives and where they might take their learning and apply it to their life. So artistically, I have a vision for um, work that's meaningful to me and to other people. For me, uh, that usually has some sort of social justice component to it um, and something that also is empowering for those who are listening or watching 
can they go out and make a positive change in their life or other people's lives based on the art they're witnessing? I spent about three months with the Seeing Place Theater. And before I go into that, because I do think that's an interesting story of getting to know you and getting involved with your group. The thing that I took away most from working with you was that you see theater and I now see theater as a relationship between those making the production happen and the audience. Yeah. Uh, before that, you know, there are phases you go through as an actor, perhaps. Uh, for me, it was definitely being a ham and a performer and being funny. And then later discovering drama and seeing the beauty and not just making people laugh, but making them cry and think. And, and then making that a real thing, more of a Meisner type thing. And then joining your group, it, I really, really started to clearly see that, what you're talking about, that you shouldn't just be up there for necessarily just entertainment. It should be something that can, can grow from there, right? I think so. And I think that there's a value in er entertainment for entertainment's sake. I think we still learn about ourselves um, when things are purely entertainment. Uh, I don't want to discount that, especially um, in times of crisis. We find that having an escape can be really good for our mental health. And there's a value in that. The background with uh, meeting Aaron was I was still in Pennsylvania um, starting to work as a, as a paid actor, but I had to travel about three and a half hours in various directions to get that work. And so I emailed your group. I don't know if it was a backstage thing or what, but um, you had said no jobbers in the ad. And so I was like, what's a jobber? There was all these, there are all these terms in, you know, in our theater vernacular in the city that I didn't know at the time. So this wasn't a paid thing where you're, you know, you're going to be part of a rep theater this was more of a learning experience and then getting to be on stage later on. For, for those of us that are not uh, in the theater world, what is a jobber? Right. You now um, dropped that twice. <laughs> yeah, there are, um, especially in New York City, which is a commercial market, there is a tendency for actors to jump from job to job and not spend any sort of real connected time with the theater companies that they work with. And we're a repertory company, so we fill an ensemble first and then pull our actors from that ensemble to serve the shows in a longer season. So if okay. someone wanted to come to us for just two months, they would be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Now that we are in a quarantine, <laughs> this has stifled a lot of us. Uh, although it's also, I would say, um, helped grow our creativity in a lot of ways because how do you, stop that that force if you are a creative spirit there's just no way to, to stop it entirely what are you doing with your time quite a bit um there you know people get really creative like you said um we as a theater company unfortunately had to halt our uh, artistic programming in terms of putting on productions uh, because all we do is live theater um, but we've replaced that time with online education and outreach, outreach courses. And that's taking quite a bit of time to put those together and um, then market them and find the right audience for them. Um, they're affordable. They're, uh, a lot of them are donation-based. The idea is to keep people connected through the power of theater. And education is really easy to do online. And that's been um, a real positive force from this quarantine. I don't know that we would have had the time 
or the energy or the bandwidth to put together this type of education program were we not in this kind of standstill. So in a way, we're grateful. We're certainly not grateful overall. Um, it's a horrible thing that's happening in the world right now, but um, we're trying to make the best of it. So where, where were you? What were you, you have all these various things on your plate. What was it that was in your immediate future before this all went down? Like what were your plans? What were you working on? We were just in our pre-production process, um, which we call discovery uh, on a new, on a, uh, the next play of our season, uh, which is Exit the King by Eugene Ionesco, which is a French play um, it, that's then been translated into English. Uh, we did about two weeks of online rehearsals before we realized, yeah, we're not, live theater's not coming back anytime soon. So we uh, decided that we would um, put that on hold and, and postpone it until we know for sure what's going to be happening. And that's when we turned our attention to the education program. Um, one thing that also makes my theater company different is that uh, our ensemble trains together once a week. And we still do that online, that training, we do it online via Zoom. And we found now after, you know, almost two months of, um, of this quarantine, how to, how to best do it, how to use this technology to still be working together. So that's taken up quite a bit of time. Still three hours? Four hours, yeah. Four hours. From seven to 11. Yep. Yeah. Those weekly things, uh, those weekly exercises, meetings, rehearsal type things that you do on Monday nights proved to be too much for me as an actor, a working actor, uh, because there's so much homework that was involved because you are doing so much, even though it's once a week. And so while I was with you, we were doing relaxing exercises. The ability to relax becomes the first thing that the actor learns. And in the relaxation, we often see the possibilities of the human being before we see his acting. We see what he's capable of. If he relaxes well, we know that he will be able to concentrate. He will be able to do things that he may not as yet be able to do. But he has that capacity. That's hard work, let me tell you. And reading an actor prepares. There's a lot of stuff that you and Brandon were putting on our plates. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And then just having worked with, with Will, um, we, were, we did a play, uh, the end of last year together. That was the first time we did one together. And I didn't see him before he was with you guys, but mm -hmm. I've been told that he was, he was great in Shakespeare. I can only imagine he's grown immensely from working with you. He's been really wonderful to work with. I feel, count myself very lucky to, to have him as a part of our group. How did you end up getting involved in the arts? The short answer is watching the movie West Side Story at home. Uh, wanted made me want to be a part of musical theater and theater. Um, the slightly longer version is I was lucky enough as a child to have been taken to see some youth theater by my school. My elementary school took us our class to the theater and um, these students were, uh, these student actors were performing and then afterwards would sign autographs out in the lobby, fully in costume. And I was like, I want to do that. I can memorize lines. That would be cool. 
And so the combination of seeing the movies and going to the play made, made it seem possible for me. So from the age of nine, I've been acting. Well, and encouraged by your parents? Sort of. <laughs> um, they were not artists at all. Uh, this was very new to them. So it was more, I just sort of said, this is what I'm going to do. And they said, okay, as long as you're committed, we'll support you. So I, they were very supportive, but certainly didn't drive any of the training or drive any of the enthusiasm for art. Well, I was actually looking at your musical theater side and trying, to, as you said, you started when you were nine. So where did your training go from there and how did it grow? Um, well, like I mentioned, my parents were not artistic in any, any way and they had no clue what a budding actor, musical theater performer would need. Um, they were adamant about me not using any of my after school time for anything but homework um, or playing tennis. That was where they wanted me to really focus my time uh, as a tennis player. Um, so I didn't take any classes outside of school. I didn't get voice lessons. I didn't take dance. I did everything through school until I went to college. And then I started having professional voice lessons at that point. Um, I was lucky enough that my school at, at the time uh, had a robust a vocal program, uh, my high school, and uh, and a great advanced drama program. Um, and my middle school had a choir program as well. So I was singing through school, uh, but I didn't get that professional training until I was technically in college. And then since then, of course, I've been training weekly, um, have wonderful coaches. and But yeah, so I'm kind of a poster child for, there's sometimes a uh, fear that if that you're too late as getting instruction as an adult. I think that um, I do, I am lucky that I have a, um, a natural ease with music. I have an ear for it. I have a vocal apparatus that serves me well. Um, so I did come to the table with that and I claim no, um, no um, victory from that. That's just what I was born with, but um, I am the poster child for you can, as an adult, get great training and make a professional career. It's never too late. There's always the natural aptitude, but there's also just the work, right? Like talent isn't just something you're born with. It's something that you work at on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, short-term to long-term goals. Absolutely. Staying curious um, in your training uh, helps to push that education along. Um, so you're not just taking in what your coaches are telling you, your teachers are telling you, you're also doing work on your off time with curiosity. Um, that's really served me well, I think. So you have your theater company and then you also have had, obviously, you're based in New York, so you have different opportunities than other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And so you were drawn to doing theater and, and founding this theater company where did that come from? At what timeline in your career did you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off and do this? Uh, I've been producing for a while. Um, I'm originally from San Diego, and I uh, helped run a nonprofit uh, arts organization there that was a service organization, kind of like the Actors Fund in terms of resources, but not financial resources. They were more of a service 
resource organization and we produced readings and we produced festivals of new plays. Um, so I've been on producing teams for a while. In New York, I, I started to notice, and I can't claim 100% uh, of the idea of the same place. It was co-founded um, by Brandon Walker, who is, you know, this was his brainchild and I was lucky enough to get swept up in um, as a founder. Um, but we just started to notice that the theater that we were seeing in New York City didn't match what was in our heads, what we were expecting to find. We were really surprised by the commercialism. Uh, we were surprised by what felt to us much of the time like a cookie cutter sort of approach to art, um, which is understandable in the commercial model. And uh, we found it very difficult on the independent level to find the kind of art that made us excited. Uh, and furthermore, in New York City, it is uncommon for smaller theater companies to do master works. So works of theater that have been tested, that are well-written, that are Pulitzer Prize winners or have been on Broadway or off-Broadway. Um, where the off-Broadway off scene in New York is an incubator for new work. So what happens is the actors end up being in sort of like guinea pigs toward um, the goal of developing a piece. A lot of things are tested out by the writer and director to bring a piece to life. Um, and the process of the actor is kind of put to the side in terms of um, determining how the art is created. So we sought to create a theater company that put actors at the center of the storytelling and honored their craft as being central to that. Um, of course, we have directors, of course, there are writers involved, uh, but uh, an actor-driven process ensures that the story that you're seeing on stage is unique to that ensemble. And we're committed to never telling the story the same way twice, so that the next day we're different living, breathing organisms. The audience is a different living, breathing organism, and we create something new in that dynamic every day. You, you know, you mentioned San Diego, and uh, Joshua and Celine, actually, yeah, all of us met in San Diego. Whoa, um, cool. Yeah. So Celine, her, she and I have a long story, and she's going to be a featured artist on this as well. But uh, yeah, we met in Balboa Park, and then Joshua and I met via a mutual friend named Christina while he was living in OB. And uh, so, yeah, where did you, you spend? like you're an OB kind of guy, Joshua. <laughs> he does. I can see it. I really see it. Now I'm a Bay Area kind of guy. Yeah. I've been up here for the last 11 years. I'm very fascinated by your story and what you're doing. Um, and kudos, by the way, uh, it's fantastic. It is people like yourself that are doing good things um, that inspire and educate and remind us that, you know, uh, even in the midst of a, a pandemic, we rely on the actors and the musicians and the playwrights and the authors and the poets to continue to tell the story that um, brings us together instead of driving us apart. So, uh, so thank you, uh, by the way, for, for being on the show and, um, you know, and for sharing a bit of your story with us. And I look forward to see what happens next. You're welcome. And that was so beautifully put. Thank you. I'm very inspired. Um, speaking of San Diego, 
you were on Veronica Mars. I was, twice, <laughs> two episodes. Which was being shot like a couple blocks away from me at one point when I was in OB. Oh. So was that a fun experience? What was it like working with Kristen Bell, et cetera? It was great. Um, I, in both uh, scenes that I was in, I wasn't directly working with Kristen, though I was on set with her. Um, and it was very a very quick experience. I worked mostly um, with Christopher B. Duncan, who played um, Weedman, uh, uh, Weedman, uh, and I was his assistant. And Weedman was the kind of the bad guy who ran the security firm at Kane Software. Um, and it was uh, it was just at the time we didn't know how iconic the show was going to be. So for me, um, I was new to on camera work. I had done one student film uh, when I booked that show. And um, interestingly, I did, I did an episode in season one and an episode in season two. Uh, I had just moved to New York when season two was being shot and got called back a month after moving here to do the recurring role. Uh, so I felt really very grateful that they were willing to bring me back um, to do that because they didn't, they didn't have to do that. Um, but it was, it was wonderful. And look at that sharp left turn into failure that your life took. After <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you also were in a, a movie. I didn't know this until looking like examining your website a little bit more closely. I'm a big Paul Giamatti fan and oh, I yeah? love the movie cold souls, but I didn't realize you were in it. Yeah. So you yeah, were featured. Was really fun. Yeah, I was, um, I was featured in the film as um, Michael Tucker's assistant. I've got the assistant thing down um, in all of the theater scenes. So when he's doing Chekhov, um, I'm in all of those scenes. Um, yeah, it was really a masterclass in, uh, in watching acting. Uh, one short, very, very short anecdote from that. Um, there was a, uh, a scene where he finally gets into the meat of the character Uncle Vanya, who he's playing, and the camera is rotating around him for this big, huge monologue. And then he steps over the um, the track that the camera is appearing on, uh, you know, is riding on, and then finishes the monologue. And they cut the scene, and then they're like, "Why don't you pick it up from where you cross over the track?" Now, in theater, the actor would say great, can I just take it back to the beginning of the monologue so I can really get there? And then, and in theater, we'd say, fine. But, you know, time is money and film strip is money on a film set. So he just asked for a moment and then launched right into it mid-monologue exactly where they needed him to be. And it was flawless. And I was like, oh, that's, I mean, it's a huge difference between film and theater anyway, um, in terms of how you, um, express the work you're doing the character creation is the same but the expression is different um and that was that was really um phenomenal um also it was uh another fun anecdote just with that as he's like the camera's moving around him he also moves his head and um, scans the room in this very artistic gorgeous um shot and then when it was clear that the camera was done and they and they had the shot he just stared me right in the eyes and goes aaron 
<laughs> you know, like, like acknowledging that I was just staring at him in awe. And I was like very embarrassed and excited. And I was like, oh, he knows my name. How exciting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, anyone who hasn't seen that film, I mean. I haven't. I hadn't even heard of it. And I thought I saw everything that Paul Giamatti was in. So yeah, it's really a fun indie film, um, very well directed um, by Sophia Barthes. And um, it's just very, uh, it's a fun kind of sci-fi sci-fi dystopian kind of film but perfect for you know the apocalypse sorry uh -huh. Isaac. no just just brilliant turn from paul giamatti he's like that scene my favorite part of the film is the part she just described is watching him i don't want to give anything away because you should just watch it but watching him play various levels of competency as an actor and just switch back and forth i mean it was mind-blowing yeah, he plays a version of himself in the film. Uh, he, he plays the character Paul Giamatti, uh, which is very fun to watch. It's kind of like a being John Malkovich sort of idea. Can, uh, will you give me the name one more time? Cold Souls. Cold Souls. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Aaron, I, I get the feeling like, you know, this it, we're getting in, into a role. We could probably just keep going now, but we're at the end of the the time that we have. There's a lot of other things I wanted to share about you and ask you about, but I'm, I'm grateful for this time that you gave us. I, I'm so, this has been so much fun. Thank you.